guys, I'm your host, Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. The latest volume of Kowabana, volume 11, is now out. This volume has over 80 different stories of creepy ghosts, abandoned buildings, frightening monsters, haunted locales, and much, much more, so do check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Kowabana merchandise store. You can check that out at kowabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at some terrifying tales that will make you question what is real, and whether everything is truly as it seems. First up, a group of friends visit a local haunted tunnel. They're intrigued by the fact that nobody seems to know what exact ghost haunts this tunnel. But is there a good reason for that? Find out why in The Disappearing Person. This isn't particularly scary, but I once had a strange, or rather, inexplicable experience. I was driving one night with three of my friends, and we were taking a tour around various well-known haunted locations. We took my car, and on the way, we stopped by a convenience store to buy some drinks and snacks, so it was kind of like we were going on a field trip. Our destination was an abandoned tunnel that was no longer used after a bypass was built nearby. It was a famous local ghost spot that was said to be haunted, but what intrigued me was that, depending on who you spoke to, the ghost that haunted that tunnel could be either a man, a woman, or a child. It was always different. I didn't really believe in such things at the time though, so I didn't put too much thought into it. Anyway, when we got there, we got out and started walking through the tunnel. It was pitch black inside and when I shone my torch, I could see that the walls were crumbling and falling apart. After walking for a while, I was starting to get bored, but then one of my friends suddenly screamed and bolted for the exit. The rest of us got scared as well, and then we ran after him and jumped back in the car. What happened? I asked. I saw a a black figure or something, he said. I wondered if that was really true, but either way, I quickly started the car and we took off. In the end, that was all that happened. We didn't clearly see any ghost, nor did anything happen. It was a bit scary... But that was it. It was a fun experience. Or so I thought. As I was driving, I noticed something. All three of my friends were sitting in the back seat. Hey, why isn't anyone sitting in the passenger's seat? I asked. Huh? But we've all been sitting back here since we left earlier tonight, they replied. Really? I said, and focused on driving again. But when I glanced at the passenger's seat again, I noticed there was an empty drink bottle sitting on it. So then, whose is that? I asked. The three in the back said they had no idea, and it didn't belong to any of them. Of course, it wasn't mine either. I asked them to check the receipt from the convenience store, and we did indeed buy it but nobody had any memory of it. So then, who bought it? 
everyone fell silent and we quietly returned home. In the end, nothing weird happened to either me or my friends, and we've continued living our normal lives. But I still think about what happened that time, and various ideas come to mind. First, that ghost spot. Looking back on it now, when we got there, it was like there wasn't just the four of us, but rather five. It was like there was always the five of us right from the start. But then, when we left that tunnel, for some reason it was just the four of us, and that was how it felt. Like there had only been four to begin with. I don't have any proof, but that's the only way I can explain it. And as for the black figure my friend saw in the tunnel, was it actually... Plus, the stories of that tunnel still weigh on my mind. Why does the ghost change depending on who sees it? No, maybe it's not actually a ghost, but rather someone who actually existed in this world. If you said that I'm just imagining things, then maybe so, but I've been thinking about that strange experience and trying to explain it for close to 10 years now. Next, a woman has had several close encounters with death over the course of her life, but she fears the next one may be the last. Find out why in The Fifth Time. I once saw a story here about immortality, so I'd like to share a story as well. This is something I personally experienced, and although I still find it hard to believe myself, it might be even more difficult for you to believe too. When I was in the fourth grade, I almost died for the first time. I was having difficulty breathing and lost consciousness. I was immediately taken to the ICU and spent five days there, and the whole time I was lying in bed, I had an out-of-body experience and could see myself lying down below. That's what they call it, right? I could see doctors and nurses coming into the room every now and then and doing something to me. But then, next thing I knew, I found myself in an unfamiliar place. There were mountains covered in haze all around me. Far below, there was a large river and the colours were like a rainbow gradation on a screen. It was beautiful. For whatever reason, I started walking towards the river, and then I woke up. Seemed I had regained consciousness. Since then, I've seen that same beautiful scenery another three times due to various accidents and surgeries. When I was 17, 24, and 29. The scenery was as beautiful as ever, but if I was to say one thing had changed, it would be that each time, I found myself getting closer and closer to the river. The second time I nearly died, I started to think, maybe that river is the Sanzu River. The third time, when I saw the river only two kilometres away, I prepared myself for death. Well, I've survived twice now, so I guess that's enough, I thought, and started making my way towards it. But on the way, I tripped over something, and then it seemed I regained consciousness. I was back in the real world, and I guess the whole situation was so bizarre that I started laughing about it. 
The fourth time was this last spring. I lost my baby and the bleeding refused to stop. I passed out. I thought this would undoubtedly be the last time, so as I felt my consciousness fading, I asked my husband to look after our dog and I even confessed my love for the first time out loud, something I'd always been too embarrassed to say. I found myself in that familiar scenery again. The river was right in front of me. I walked a little, and on the bank of the other side, I saw a familiar figure. It was my brother, who died when I was in the first grade of junior high. He was 21. You're here again, huh? He said. I don't think I'll be able to do anything for you next time, so please live a long, healthy life. His face was pale, but he smiled at me. And then I woke up. My husband was holding my hand and crying. Apparently, I'd been out for four days. It might be a little inappropriate to laugh about it, but apparently my husband's parents told him that I was going to die, and so they took him to a shaman to pray for me. My husband laughed through his tears and joked that I played with his belly button as I passed out, but then I heard that something strange happened during the four days I was out. My beloved dog apparently disappeared during the day, but would then return at night. As an aside, after I was discharged from the hospital, I went to a temple to pray for my brother and lost baby. The head priest smiled when he saw my dog. Ah, so this little guy is yours, huh? He was here for a few days just recently, sitting in front of a grave and staring at it until evening, when he then disappeared. Numerous emotions welled up within me. My dog was always such a joker, but I was so grateful to him. Of course, I'd never taken him there before, but it was strange that the grave he sat in front of during that time was my brother's. Not to mention that temple was three kilometers away from our house. He was a mini Dashan, so he had a lot of stamina, but more than anything, I was glad he was still healthy. I promised I'd upgrade his meals in return. He's back to being a little prankster again now, but he's even cuter than before. And I was told that I'll never be able to have children again, so I hope to live the rest of my life out happily with my husband and my dog. I'm also grateful to my brother as well. A strange encounter with an elderly couple in the rain leaves a young man questioning reality. What's really going on? Find out in Thunderstorm. One summer about three years ago, I got on my bike and took a tour of the mountains in Gifu. The weather had been perfectly fine until suddenly it started to rain a little. There just so happened to be a rest spot with a parking lot nearby, so I dropped in to take shelter from the rain. There was a car park, some public toilets, and an area with tables and benches to sit and rest. As I was in the toilet, the rain started to fall more heavily outside, and there was thunder as well. I didn't know when the rain would stop, so I decided to put my raincoat on and watch it for a bit. I put my stuff on the table so I could get changed, and as I pulled my raincoat out, 
I suddenly noticed an elderly couple sitting on a bench nearby. They weren't there just a moment ago, so when did they arrive? I thought. That was suddenly more interesting to me than when the rain might stop. I got changed and watched the sky for about five minutes, and the whole time that couple was silent. I was starting to feel a little uncomfortable, so I decided to break the ice first. This rain really came out of nowhere, huh? The old couple looked at each other as I said that, and then the old man replied, It's been raining all this time, though. I was confused. It had only just started raining, so what did he mean? I looked back up at the sky to avoid looking at their faces. I rode here, so I hope it stops soon. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to return home. The old man said nothing for about two seconds, and then replied. Yeah, that's true. Sadly, you won't be able to return home, he said. Huh? I thought, but when I looked back over at the couple, they were gone. Oh no, this is definitely not good, I thought, and got up to leave when I heard an angry voice screaming in the distance. At that, it seemed, I passed out, and when I came back too, a man in his thirties was shaking my shoulders. Hey, are you okay? Are you alright? I asked the man what happened, and he said that when he came out of the toilets, I was about to climb over the nearby fence and jump down the cliff, so he panicked and stopped me. Judging by the time, I'd only been out for two minutes. The rain was gone too. Which is to say, according to that man, it was never raining to begin with. And yet, I was wearing my raincoat, and despite everything else being dry and no signs of rain anywhere, my raincoat alone was actually wet. It's late at night. You hear footsteps coming down the hall. Everyone else is asleep. Who could it be? When your grandparents tell you to go to bed right away, there may be a very good reason for that. Find out why in The Stranger. This happened to me about five years ago now. During the summer holidays, I went back to my grandparents' house on my mother's side with my younger sister. My mother's younger sister was also there at the time with her son, Tikun. He was a year younger than me, and my sister was one year younger than him. The first night, Tikun and I stayed up watching movies and eating snacks. We chatted about this and that, and next thing we knew, it was midnight. We still weren't sleepy, so we asked our grandmother to tell us a scary story. If you don't go to bed, then I won't take you to the beach tomorrow, she said. And so we reluctantly went upstairs. I don't want to sleep yet. Let's play a little more, Tikun said, and I agreed. But before long, we heard someone walking down the hallway. Who's that? I sat up and looked at the sliding door. Tikun seemed to have noticed as well, and he also looked at the door. Then, the door slowly slid open. Our grandfather stood there with a terrifying look on his face. Are you still awake? 
Go to sleep already, he yelled. But that didn't scare us and we simply turned the lights off and continued talking. Then we heard footsteps coming closer again. Crap, he's going to get angry at us again, Tikun whispered. But it wasn't our grandfather. We knew it wasn't because our grandparents' room was only five metres from ours, yet the footsteps kept going. Then they stopped right in front of the door. I looked at Tikun and he was frozen looking at it. Then it slowly opened. It wasn't our grandfather, nor even our grandmother standing there. It was a stranger I'd never seen before, and he was looking right at us. He held something in his hand, and looking back on it now, it was no doubt a knife. The man then said something to us. I couldn't hear him well, but he definitely said something. And next thing I knew, it was morning. Immediately I went to tell my grandmother what happened. You're just imagining things, she said. She didn't believe me. Tikun didn't want to talk about it either, so we went straight to the beach. Five years have passed since that night, and just recently I went back to my grandparents' house again. Tikun was there too. I straight out asked him about that day again, and after a brief silence, he decided to speak. Apparently, that night Tikun did also see the man, but unlike me, he also heard what he said. Get out of here, quickly, the man said. I still don't know why he would have said that. Before I left, I asked my grandmother if she'd ever had any scary experiences in that house herself. I have, she said with a smile. After all, the second floor sits right on a spirit path. Just like it sounds, a spirit path is like a road that spirits use to travel. Meaning, the man we saw that night no doubt actually was a ghost. I wonder if he's still hanging around the second floor hall even now. Either way, I don't think I'll be spending the night there again anytime soon. It's a common trope in ghost stories that if someone calls you from behind, you mustn't turn around. If you do, then it's all over. But what if you have no choice and you're forced to look, despite your best efforts? Is it even possible to escape at that point? Find out in... Don't Turn Around. I was on my way home from a trip with three of my friends. It was around 6pm and we were driving through the mountains as it got dark outside. Suddenly, I heard a strange noise coming from the right. We had a flat tyre. I wonder if there's anywhere we can spend the night nearby, my friend Shiori said. No way! We can sleep in the car, I replied. Ever since I was a kid, I could see ghosts and... I was used to sensing bad omens. The four of us can't sleep in there, Minoru complained. Hey, isn't that a hut over there? Yuya said, and so the four of us started walking towards it. But I could sense it. Something bad coming from that building. Ten minutes later, we finally reached it. There were like 
ten different holes in the walls, but it looked like we could at least spend the night in it. We happened to have some sweets and drinks on hand, so we had those for dinner. Hey, let's tell some scary stories, Yuya said when we were done eating. Come on, this isn't really the place for it, I said. Eh? No way. Yuna, are you scared? What a scaredy cat. And so, I had to sit there and listen to them. At the end of the last story, Minoru said, And if you hear a voice calling you, you mustn't, mustn't turn around. I couldn't get that sentence out of my head. It was around 10pm when we all went to bed, but no matter what, I just couldn't fall asleep, and so I sat up. At that moment, I realised something was looking at me. Not something. Someone. A small girl looking through one of the holes in the wall. I was so afraid that I woke up the sleeping Shiori next to me. Shiori. Huh? What? There's a girl looking at us through that hole. Shiori looked over at the wall. There's nothing there. Jeez, let me sleep. But that girl was definitely staring at me. Suddenly, she started beckoning me, and my body moved of its own accord. I knew that if I went over there, something bad would happen, but I couldn't stop my body from moving. I opened the door and went around the back to where the girl was looking through the hole, but nobody was there. I sighed in relief, but then I realised that somebody was right behind me. Who are you? Hey, the little girl said. Just as I was about to turn around, I remembered what Minoru said. You mustn't turn around. Then I'll make you turn around. As soon as she said that, my neck started to move. No, I'm not moving, I screamed, but my neck moved regardless. I had almost turned around and then I saw it. Numerous skeletons on the ground and the little girl floating above them. Her hair grew longer and longer and beneath it, hatred-filled eyes glared at me. I ran. I ran, but the girl followed me as though she was merely walking. Just as she nearly had me cornered, I suddenly heard a voice. Hey, what are you doing with Yuna? It was my friends, all three of them. And then the girl suddenly disappeared. You guys. You disappeared, so we've been looking for you. Hey, Yuna, who was that? I think she was a ghost. We should get far, far away from here, yeah? We found somewhere with phone reception and then called a tow truck. But after that, I was no longer able to see ghosts. I shudder when I think about what might have happened that night if I'd turned around of my own free will. It wasn't until later that I found out that mountain was a famous ghost spot. If you're reading this, you should take care never to turn around as well. Is it a good or a bad thing if a ghost smiles at you? That smile can be innocent or evil, depending on the intentions behind it. But is it possible to tell? And 
Does it matter either way? Find out in The Smiling Ghost. This is my mother's story. When she married my father, she moved to the countryside to live with him. The locals called her a city woman, even though she was from the nearby prefectural capital, which wasn't much different to where they were from. And, as such, she was often bullied over it. It wasn't just her mother-in-law either, but she was treated this way by all the locals. In general, they didn't like outsiders, and despite marrying into the family and living there for years, that treatment never changed. Bullying in the countryside can be terrible, thanks to the local customs and traditions, but that's a story for another time. Anyway, not long after my mother got married, there was an accident near her house. There was a quarry, and one of the workers got his head caught in the machinery. This man was somewhat mentally handicapped, and so he was also bullied by the locals. Apparently, he put his head in the crusher to see why it was jammed, and then it started working again. Nobody knew whether the accident truly was an accident or if somebody had started the machine on purpose, but the testimony of the one person on the scene apparently couldn't be relied on. Either way, in the end, it was ruled an accident. My mother was quite close to the scene of the accident, so when she heard the commotion, she rushed over and she said the crusher was stained red and there were pieces of flesh everywhere. She had never seen anything more horrifying and gruesome in her life. After that day, she apparently started to have dreams night after night of the horrific scene. And then one night, as she went outside to go to the toilet, she noticed the dead man standing by the front door. He was smiling at her. He didn't look like a ghost at all, but rather just like a regular human being. Did he appear before her because they both had been bullied by the locals? My mother considered it, and when he was still alive, she had always been kind to him because of that as well. As such, he always smiled at her in return. But when she saw him standing by the doorway, she froze in fear. She couldn't even scream. Then he raised one of his shoulders up and down, a habit he had while still alive, and he looked at her with a curious look on his face. Then he started walking and disappeared, just like that. For a while, my mother remained on the spot, frozen. The next day, she was certain that what she saw the night before was just a dream. It had to be, because she kept seeing that same horrifying scene at the quarry night after night. But then, a few days later, he appeared again. Just like the first time, he smiled at her, and his shoulder went up and down a few times. This continued for quite some time, and she eventually got too scared to go to the toilet at night. But the reason I'm writing this is because I recently saw a story that said smiling ghosts are dangerous. It's like they're saying, I'm going to take you with me soon. Yippee! Now, this man normally smiled at my mother while he was alive, so maybe it was just that. But when I think about how maybe he might have been trying to take her to the other side as well, I get chills. Well, 
It's not something I'll ever bring up with her, as she's still frightened by it now, decades later. She is still alive and well, though. A creepy dream may be a portent of something evil about to take place in the waking world, but why? Find out in The Cousin's Phone Call. This happened to my high school friend, Y. I was on my way to school one morning like always when I saw him. He was usually so energetic and happy, but on this day, his face was pale and he was quiet. What's wrong? I asked. Nothing, he said, but he looked like he wanted to say something. I didn't want to force it out of him if he wasn't ready to talk yet though, so all I said was, okay. During lunch, Y still looked like he wanted to talk about something, and he approached me. Hey, can I talk to you about something? He said. I could hear him out while eating lunch, but the story he told me was wild. The night before, Y was tired from club practice. He was in the rowing club, and they were doing timed races. His parents were out, so after dinner, he returned to his room and got straight into bed. He then had a dream. He was sitting in the living room watching TV when the phone rang. He got up to answer it, and it was his cousin who was the same age as him. Yet this cousin's voice and choice of words sounded like that of a kindergartner, and something about the situation felt off. Let's play together, his cousin was saying. Let's go somewhere together sometime soon. After five minutes of this, Y finally realized something. Wait, isn't my cousin dead? It hit him like a truck, and yet his cousin kept talking by himself like nothing was wrong. Y grew more and more afraid and started making excuses to leave. It's pretty late and my parents are coming. He went to hang up the phone, but his cousin still kept talking. His speech was getting faster and faster, almost like a tape being played on fast forward, and he couldn't make out what he was saying. That's enough, Y screamed, terrified. I'm hanging up now. But at that same moment, his cousin's voice returned to normal. Why was I the only one who had to die? He said. This time his voice sounded older, like the age he would be if still alive. At that, Y couldn't take it anymore and hung up. And that, he said, was when he woke up. He was relieved to realize it was all a dream, but when he remembered what happened, he wondered who his cousin was talking about. And then it hit him. When Y was three, there was a fire at the kindergarten he went to and his cousin passed away in it. It was just a dream, he thought. But when he went to the living room, there were two things that frightened him. First, there was white noise on the TV blaring in the darkness. He had turned it off before going to bed. And the phone that he had knocked over in his dream was lit up by the light of the TV, the receiver lying next to it. Panicking, Y pulled the phone cord out of the wall, ran back to his room, turned the TV and lights on, and then dove under the covers. He stayed there until morning. I forgot all about my lunch as I listened to his story, and then it hit me. Wait, 
He's in the rowing club, right? Maybe something is trying to drag him into the water. Crap. Wise eyes were unfocused and sensing danger. I went home early that day with him, and once I got there, I told Wise Mother all about what he told me. For the next week, I picked him up from home every morning and walked him home every afternoon as well, although he resisted the entire time. And thankfully, things got better, and he's now living a normal, carefree life again. When a childhood friend passes away, two girls are left devastated. But things are about to get even more emotional when she pays them a visit from beyond the grave to let them know a heart-rending truth. Find out what in Dinchan. This happened when I was in the sixth grade. I had two close friends at the time. We went to the same kindergarten together, and because our elementary school was so small, we were always in the same class as well. As such, we were always together. They called me Kanchan, and I called them Dinchan and Sachan. But when we were in the sixth grade, Dinchan went on a family trip to Okinawa, and on the way back, was involved in an accident. She passed away. Sachan and I couldn't stop crying. On the night of the wake, Dinchan's mother took Sachan and I to her room. You two would know best what Lin likes, yes? She said, crying. Before she goes to heaven, I'd like her to take her most beloved possession with her. Sachan and I went through every single inch of her room, looking at everything. Then, on the shelf with all of her comics, we found a single photo. It was a picture of Lin Chan's family. We handed that to her mother and then went home. I was so exhausted from crying that I soon fell asleep that night. Yet before long, I woke up, struggling to breathe. There, standing next to my bed, was Dinchan, covered in blood. She was looking at me and saying something. I was so afraid that I couldn't move, and several seconds passed as we stared at each other. Then, she put down a photo and disappeared. Everything went black. The next morning, I looked under my bed, and there really was a photo there. There was also a note. I picked it up and looked at it. It was a photo of Dinchan, Sachan, and I. Dinchan was happy and smiling and doing a peace sign at the camera. I cried as I looked at it, and then read the note. It appeared to be written with a pink pen, and all it said was, My beloved possession. I immediately called Sachan and told her what happened. Apparently she saw Dinchan the night before as well. We went to her house together again and Dinchan's mother cried. Thank you, she said. We put the photo on her coffin and then said our goodbyes. Take care, Dinchan. After the cremation, we went to her room, blew on the window glass and then wrote a message. We'll always be friends. Kanna and Sayaka. How much time has passed since then? It must be close to 10 years. I'm still good friends with Sachan, and just recently was the anniversary of Dinchan's death, so we visited her house together. 
Her parents said they wanted to take us somewhere before visiting her altar, and then they guided us to her room. It looked exactly the same as when she passed, but now it was covered in dust. They took us over to the window, and there, the message we wrote on the glass was still on it. But beneath it, there was something else. A small handprint. It was no doubt Dinchan's. We just stood there and stared at it for a while. After that, we prayed before her altar and then went home. We got in Sachan's car and looked up at the house before leaving. There was someone in Ninchan's room watching us. They waved. Yet Ninchan's parents and younger brother were all standing by the front door. That's Ninchan, I thought, and waved back. I wonder if she's still there in her room, even now. If so, I'd like to go see her again someday. Finally this week, a group of children spend their days building pits to trick each other, but a very real accident in one soon puts a stop to that. Or does it? Find out what happens in... Pit. I went to visit my grandfather's house the other day, and this is a story he told me. My grandfather lived in the countryside when he was a child, and apparently they lived pretty deep in the mountains. At the time, the children were really into digging pits so they could get their friends or even the grown-ups to fall in them as a prank. Toys were hard to come by at the time, and apparently the grown-ups taught them how to dig these pits like they had done themselves when they were children. The ground in the area was rather soft, so as long as you had a large shovel and didn't hit any roots, then even children could dig rather deep holes in the ground. They could dig holes deep enough to reach a grown-up's knees, or if they took a whole day, as far as their waist. They'd then cover these little pits with small branches and large leaves they found nearby, and then put a little dried dirt on top as well to cover it up. Apparently, the kids used to split up and play this way. It was during the war, so they didn't have much of anything on hand, so they'd spend their entire days playing this way. One day, when they were out making their pits, the air raid alarms rang. The children immediately stopped playing and ran, but they later discovered that one of the adults who was nearby fell into one of the pits when running. Whether he was shot or hit his head or whatever, he was unable to make it out in time and burnt to death in there. The pits were apparently rather noticeable if you were looking closely at the ground, but because everyone was in a hurry and trying to escape, it's likely the man didn't notice. It was the adults who taught the children this game in the first place, and they were only playing, so nobody blamed them for the accident. However, The grown-ups did stop them from playing after that, and my grandfather and his friends happily stopped digging them as well. My grandfather then grew up, had grandchildren, me, and became a typical old man. This year, he went to visit his family's graves in the countryside like always, and he rode his bike from the main house, his older brother's house, up the mountain to get there. On the way back, he was going to stop by at an unmanned vegetable market to pick up some watermelons, but as he descended the mountain, 
he found a spot in the ground that looked like it had been dug up. There was one spot in particular that looked like dirt had been clumped on top of it, and it was just the right size for a human to fit. It looked just like the pits he used to dig as a child. The dirt was placed so as to cover it, and there was grass and leaves on top too. It wasn't something that just made itself. Someone had purposefully done it. Apparently, my grandfather instantly recognised it as a pit. He wasn't scared or anything, but more, he wondered if there were any children around nowadays who would do such a thing. Either way, he got back on his bike and continued riding. But it wasn't long until he saw yet another pit. This one was also just the right size for a person, and if someone made one simple mistake, they'd fall in. He moved away from it into the short grass by the side of the road, but after pedalling a few times, he saw yet another pit. Of course, this was dangerous, so he put the watermelon in the basket on the bike, got off, and decided to walk back down. But this time, he found several pits lined up unnaturally in a row, as if trying to block his path. It was as though they were trying to keep him from going any further. He realised that something was terribly wrong with that area. It was the same road he had just taken before to visit the cemetery. There were no pits on his way up less than an hour ago. There was no way someone could have dug so many in that time. He turned to go back, but then there was a pit behind him as well. It was the same path he had just walked on. He looked left and right, trying to escape, but now there were pits there as well, as though trapping him in. There was nowhere for him to go. He was cursed. That was the thought that suddenly popped into his head. Then he remembered the man who died in the pit when he was a child. My grandfather didn't know any Buddhist prayers, but he meditated like he was waiting for a storm to pass. He remained on the spot for a while, but it wasn't like he could stay there forever, so he prepared himself to run, even if that meant falling into one of the pits. Yet when he finally opened his eyes, the only thing he saw was the road and a gentle curve in it. The entire way before him was safe. Not caring for how he looked, he realised that his hands had frozen in fear and he was dragging his bicycle alongside him. He then got back on it and pedalled as fast as he could back. He didn't see any more pits on the way. When he got back to the house, he thought that man who died when he was a child might still be angry, so he visited the man's relatives with his brother. They still lived nearby. Together, they visited the man's grave and he offered some incense and left some watermelon for him too. There was only one pit left by then. The rest had been neatly filled in. The remaining one was apparently right next to where that man died. I don't know whether my grandfather believes in ghosts or not, but when he told my dad and my uncle about it, they just laughed and thought he was making things up, even though he looked quite serious about it. I don't know whether it actually happened or not, but the look on my grandfather's face when he told that story was really scary. Don't forget to check out Koabana Volume 11, out on Amazon right now.
and check out our newly revamped merchandise store at koabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Koabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on koabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to koabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to koabana.net now.